Well, good morning. My name is Katie Rochelli, and I am one of the pastors here. Whether you happen to be online or here in the sanctuary, it is truly my honor to get to be with you all. Right now, we're in a series called This Is Your Story, and we're talking about stories because this year we're celebrating 150 years as a church. And we thought that there was no better way to begin the year than with the story that God is telling here at FCC in and through this church and through these people. And really, we hope that as we tell this story, you will realize that this story is also your story one that you are invited to become a part of. Telling the story of FCC means starting with the very core of who we are as a church. We are people trying to follow Jesus' commands. For 150 years, that's been the driving force of the story. No matter the people or the decade or the trending hairstyles, FCC has been about trying to be the sort of people Jesus calls us to be. Speaking of trending hairstyles, though, beards are back in, right? And man, the pastors of this church over the years have had some fantastic beards. I mean, look at these guys, impeccable. And I really just think it's time to bring the pastor beard back. So who's with me? I think it's time to see Ethan in some beards. (laughs) It's pretty good. But anyway, even if Ethan doesn't go for it, we still have a chance to live out these same commands, be these same people, join in the story. So far, we've talked about Jesus' commands to love God and love others, to be disciples and to make disciples. And today, I get to talk with you all about one of Jesus' commands that I am trying to obey right now. We find this command from Jesus to his disciples in the very opening verses of Acts. The book of Acts kind of starts with the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginnings of the church. It's just after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead, and soon Jesus will ascend into heaven. But for right now, Jesus is still with his disciples. Understandably, the disciples are a bit confused because one moment they're following a celebrated Jesus into Jerusalem and they have hopes that he's going to usher in a renewed kingdom for Israel. I mean, people were calling Jesus the king of the Jews. But then, before their very eyes, Jesus was crucified and everything seemed lost until the resurrected Jesus appeared to them three days later. I mean, I would be confused too. Jesus, though, was not confused. We find this scene unfolding in Acts after the resurrected Jesus has been with the disciples already for some time. I can kind of imagine it now. It feels almost normal again. The resurrection, the shock of it is just a little bit less, but they still have So many questions. What does it all mean? What is going to happen if even death can't stop their teacher? They're eating together, talking, maybe even leaned up next to Jesus when I think it was probably James who nudges John and says, ask him. And they ask this question they've all been wondering. Let's jump into Acts 1-6 when the disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Do you hear their question? They're asking, Jesus, are you about to be in power now? 
It's a huge question, and you can hear the answer that they're hoping for. But listen to what Jesus says to them. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are hoping that Jesus' plan is to restore a kingdom that gives them back a sense of power and a little security, and I can't fault them for asking because the Jewish people had long expected that the promised Messiah would be a military one, that his purpose would be to restore Israel after centuries of oppression from Assyria and then Babylon and now Rome. But as deeply as the disciples were hoping for that, as deeply as they might have even assumed it, Jesus had something else planned. Instead, Jesus completely redirects them. And I think that Jesus would also redirect us. He says it's not about restoring the kingdom of Israel to power right now. He says it's about you and it's about me. In fact, he says it's about you telling about me. Jesus says to them, I want you to make one thing your priority, you and me. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus wants them to tell the story of what they've seen God do and then leave everything else in God's hands. He tells them, Go, tell about me. Tell a story of a new way forward and forgiveness for all. Tell about our dinner parties with tax collectors and the blind given sight, a woman given a new chance at life. And this same charge still applies to us as followers of Jesus today. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. And there are two clear pieces to this command that I think are worth looking into. First, Jesus cares about where we go. And then, Jesus cares about what we do. First, it's important to note that Jesus has some really specific places that he lists when he charges the disciples to be witnesses. He says that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it would be easy to miss because, I don't know about you, but I'm not exactly an expert in geography during Jesus' time. But Jesus is commanding the disciples to be witnesses for him in gradually widening circles. He lists Jerusalem, which would be like their city, Johnson City for us. And then he lists Judea, which would kind of be like their state, Tennessee. But he keeps going. He says Samaria, which would kind of be like the state to the north of them. And then he says the ends of the earth. And I just wish I could have seen the disciples' faces when Jesus told them that this was his plan, (laughs) because they were expecting Jesus was about to do something, and he turns to them and he says, nope, I'm leaving. I am telling you to do something. 
They were hoping that he had a plan for Israel, and then Jesus says to them, no, I have a plan for the whole world. And that is still true for us today. Jesus wants us to be witnesses right here in our neighborhoods, on our streets, but then also in our state and in our nation and in the whole world. Which brings us to the second piece of Jesus' command. Well, if we know where we're supposed to go, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) What does it mean to be a witness? I know... For myself, and perhaps for many of you, this word has a lot of different connotations depending on how you grew up. For me, I never heard the word once. But I have friends that went with their youth groups knocking door to door asking people if they knew Jesus. Maybe for you, you've heard someone say that they were going to go witnessing, but all that ended up happening was they were going to go yell at people and kind of argue about stuff. Once in college, I actually had my own experience of being witnessed to. I had just rolled up to the student center on my sweet bike, hopped off, yanked open the heavy doors to the lower level because that's where the post office was, and my mom had sent me some mail. But just as I kind of swung the corner to go grab my mail, this little middle-aged lady kind of popped out from behind the stairs at me. And before I knew it, she was asking me all of these questions. I remember the feeling. It was like she had this desperate energy to her. She wasn't really looking at me. She was so focused on this list that she had and if I was going to pass her test. And I couldn't get away until she'd assured herself that I believed in her checklist of appropriate understandings of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was planning to come back, and how to tell if it was really him. And I must have passed because eventually... She let me go. The funny thing is, though, that that moment did not really move me any further along in my path towards Jesus. At that time in my life, though, I was actually growing in my faith in leaps and bounds. I was hanging out with these students at the Christian Campus Fellowship, and more and more I was asking myself, what makes them so different? What makes these students so joyful, so hopeful, so kind? Mostly, we just hung out and became friends. But then, once in a while, we'd get to talking about life, and they would just mention what God was doing in theirs. They never tried to prove anything to me. They never made me check a list. But the way that they shared about God, it was sparking something so exciting, so new in my spiritual life. So you can imagine it was a relief to me to look into this whole witnessing deal. What does the word really mean in Scripture when Jesus said it? When you look at the word, it's actually really clear. The word witness was originally used in a legal context, just like we use it now. We all know what this word means. A witness tells the truth about what they saw. Just like a witness might be called to the stand in a trial, we are called to be witnesses to what we've seen. At the trial, the witness is only asked to tell as truthfully and as accurately as possible what they saw. It'd be like if you witnessed a bank robbery, but all you saw was the blue car speeding by you at about 2 p.m. Well, when you went to court as a witness, you wouldn't have to say anything more than that. 
You weren't in the bank, so you didn't see what happened there. And you don't know where the car went when it turned the corner. You just saw the car, and it was speeding by you at about 2 o'clock. So as a witness, that's what you'd say. Being a witness doesn't mean we have to be responsible for seeing everything or saying everything. It just means that we're responsible for telling as truthfully and as accurately what we have seen. To be honest, as I was preparing for a sermon on what I've seen, it was a little hard to get started. <laughs> because over this past year, a lot of my prayers weren't answered like I'd hoped. I have started to wonder. I've watched so much grief and loss happen, it's hard to comprehend, and yet as I started to think about it, really get started, even in this past year, there are still so many moments I can point to and say with all honesty, I have caught glimpses of God at work. So if I were to be a witness, I'd start with exactly that. I'd tell you I've struggled this year. I've wondered how or when God was going to show up, and some of you now may be thinking, Katie, that's a crummy way to get started. But it's a true way to get started. It's not a polished presentation of God's greatest hits in my life because I wouldn't want it to be because it's not honest. And as a witness, if you're not honest in the stand, well, that's actually called perjury. It's a lie. It's a crime, and they can send you to jail for that. I think when you're a witness, you have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But if I stopped there, if I only stopped with that first part, well, then I wouldn't be telling you everything I have seen. And when you leave stuff out, in the courtroom, uh, that's called contempt of court. And they can put you in jail for that too. The whole point of the witness is to say exactly what they've seen. It's not an invitation to say some of what we've seen or exaggerate what we did see. It's just to say clearly, honestly, accurately what we have seen. And that is the great thing about being a witness. Because we are not supposed to be the judge. We're not the jury and we aren't the lawyers who have to convince everybody one way or another. You know, I think that that's where the lady that I ran into in the student center went wrong. I know that she was a well-meaning lady, but she'd just gotten confused. She had gotten up being a witness, all mixed up with the other roles in the courtroom. She thought that she needed to be the judge and the lawyer too, ready to try and convince me if I said the wrong thing. But all she'd needed to do was to say what she'd seen. And so, if I were to tell you what I've seen this year, I wouldn't stop with how the year's been hard. I would say to you that I've seen God show up when a friend of mine organized all these poor grad students to pull together money for a family in desperate need. And I'd say to you that I have seen God show up in this church's faithful prayer team with so many cool moments where the things that we've prayed for have been answered so specifically, a need for work or healing within a family. And in my own life, God recently answered prayer in the most surprising way. I'd been having a tough week. I was feeling that, like, sick to my stomach, afraid of big changes I have coming up in my life. I wanted to quit before I'd gotten started, curl up on my bed and never face the world again. But I told maybe one, maybe two people about that fear, and I asked them to pray for me. And then I told God about it. I said, I am afraid, and I really need some help. And I am just going to read you all my journal entry from three days later. 
September 4th, 2020. Today, there were two letters on the counter. One lime green, one eggshell white. And in each letter, one after another, came an answer to my prayers. Behind a funny joke about lemons, tequila, and salt, one sentence lifted right off the page to me. It said, never ever doubt that you have chosen the right life's work for yourself. And then in the second, a handmade card with a little pasted quote about the Psalms kind of edged in mahogany I found at the very end of the letter, he who has called you is faithful. I have been racked with fears this week. Doubt in God's calling to this work and in the lives of people I don't know yet has haunted my steps. I've asked for prayer and prayed and secretly doubted what prayer even means. And yet, in prayer, you have been faithful. Two letters came, mailed to me with a word from you. I will try not to doubt this work I've been called to or the call, and I will do my very best to trust you are faithful. Now I know God does not always answer prayers just like this, and you could be sitting out there thinking to yourself, now Katie, it was just a coincidence. But the cool thing is, is that I don't have to do anything besides tell you about it. I am not the judge, I'm not the jury, I'm not the lawyer, I am just the little old witness, and as such, I will tell you that on a week when I desperately needed a word from God that I could face what lies ahead, that what lies ahead is really worth it, I will tell you that God showed up in not one, but two letters and sustained my faith with a reminder of God's gifts in my life and a reminder that God is faithful. I know my little story is not too much, but it's exactly what Jesus asks of us to say what we've seen God do. And that is what God is asking you to do. To look back over your life, over the past month, the past year, the past 50 years, and notice what God has done, big and small. And I promise you, it is there. And maybe, just maybe, as you look back, you will find that you have something to say. Perhaps what you can say is that you were lonely and in the church you found loyal, authentic friendships and you're not lonely anymore. Or perhaps you love history and scripture and while you don't know everything, what you've learned has made you trust that Jesus really did rise from the dead and you can share that. For each of us, when we do catch a little glimpse of God at work in our life, when we know we have seen the truth in scripture, we are called to tell the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We are called to tell our stories. And that's why you'll see the phrase, tell our story, in our mission statement here at FCC. Because that's what being a witness is all about. Being a witness is nothing more than telling our story. We don't have to embellish, because if we add stuff to seem extra fancy, that could be perjury. And we can't go on like nothing's happened at all because, remember, that's contempt of court. Instead, each of us tells the story that is unfolding between us and God. And we do this because Jesus asked it of us. Jesus says to the disciples then and to us now, focus on what you have seen me do. 
and then tell about it. I could tell so many stories to you all about how FCC as a church has worked to live out this command to be a witness. But since we only have so much time, I'm going to tell you one of the very best ones, hands down. It's this story about a church-planting dream in 1921, and it involves a man named William E. Sweeney. Reading the newspaper clippings about him, I have to be honest, I kind of feel like I know the guy, but only because I've met just one person in my life as crazy and as willing to dream God-sized dreams as Brother Sweeney seemed to be. And if I'm right, then Brother Sweeney would be this force to contend with. He'd be high energy, maybe a little bit scattered when it came to the details, but a visionary when it came to the big picture. Not long after he began to work at FCC, Sweeney decided that they were going to set a goal of planting five churches in five years. And once he had the dream for those five churches, I am certain of it. I bet he couldn't stop thinking about it, pitching it to people, telling them he knew they could help him inviting them to be in on this plan between him and God. And he got our whole church on board. The newspaper clippings we have are fantastic. They say things like, organized to evangelize. First Church Johnson City conducts a remarkable campaign, entirely with home forces. And you know what? The home forces did it. In five years, our church not only planted the five churches they'd set out to, they planted six. Three in Johnson City, one in Moorestown, one in Greenville, and then one more in Kingsport, just for good measure. And I love this story because it reminds me to dream so much bigger with God than I would on my own. And I love this story because William Sweeney and the FCC congregation continued something that's been in FCC DNA since the very beginning and continues on now. In fact, every single year since I have been at this church, we have in some way, shape, or form supported a church plant. We've done so here locally in Boone, across the state in Nashville, up in Baltimore, and this year we're supporting one in Ecuador. That's our city our state, the country, and the whole world. And it is just crazy to me to think that this call to be a witness has not only influenced who we are as individuals here at FCC, but also all the spaces our church tries to support and make possible, just so that somebody somewhere might hear a little bit about a good and a loving God. much for sharing with us uh, this story. It was so, so good. In fact, it was, it was a little too good. Uh, Ethan just messaged me and said, you can't preach anymore because oh, it was really? just, he doesn't want to be compared to that Man. week after week. No, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Ethan, our senior minister, uh, he, uh, he would love to be here on the stage kind of sharing this moment uh, with Katie today, but he is quarantining uh, due to a possible exposure, so we will certainly uh, pray for him. But I get to share in this moment with you, which is really, really uh, special for me. Um, I want us to process just a little bit the message that you've given to us today, not only because it was so great, um, but because it's so important. Uh, Katie has reminded us that Jesus commanded us to be witnesses, not the judge, the jury, the attorney, uh, but to simply tell what we have seen as clearly as we can. I love the fact that you made that so accessible to us. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I know for a long time when I heard that, that word witnessing, it seemed really intimidating, um, like you had to have something really contrived or calculated. 
but it's pretty simple. And what that means is every single one of you have a story. You have a testimony to tell. Katie, you reminded us that we have a place to go and a people to tell that story to. I love the way you kind of broke down the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, That makes it so real and accessible for us. Um, One thing I know I want to ask you about. Uh, When we preach messages, we want to be found consistent with those messages. And you said earlier in your sermon, you're trying to make this happen in your own life. So I'm just wondering, is there anything you want to share with us? Maybe something to tell? Well, yeah, it's actually um, my last day on staff. Oh, that's a a tough one. Ethan's not quarantining. He's just refusing to accept your resignation. I think that's what's going on right now. (laughs) No, tell us about it. Yeah, so I'm actually moving to Germany soon to work with the campus ministry there. Oh, that is so awesome, Katie. We are so proud of you. Yeah. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking... It's a Zoom world. We're used to a lot of virtual things. You could just be a virtual staff member here. That'd be kind of maybe, neat. but maybe. I've seen Jesus do so much in campus ministry spaces. Yeah. So at least for now, I'm going to go tell a part of my story over there. That is wonderful. I'm just kidding around with you. We are so excited to be a part of your story, but also to be a part of your sending. And I know uh, that we are super, super proud of that. Since you do have the stage, is there anything that you'd like to share with FCC? Uh, I'll just keep it short and sweet. I love this church. I love all of you, and I have been so thankful to be a part of this place, a part of your story, and it's an honor to be leaving from such a great place. I'm going to miss you all, and please keep in touch. Katie, thank you so much. I've gotten the opportunity to work with you a couple of months. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, So for myself, but also on behalf of the church, thank you for the service that you have given to our church. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Katie's going to Germany. She kind of has the ends of the earth thing uh, taken care of for us. That counts. I'll take Um, over, yeah. (laughs) But for you, what that means is you have to figure out what is your move. You might not have a Jerusalem, but you have a, maybe a school that you go to. You might not have a Judea, but you have a workplace. You have a gym. You have a neighborhood where you can tell your story. You can be a witness. So what I'd like to do is I'd just like to pray for us as we take this to heart and we think of what our story is and where it is we will go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the story that you have given us to tell. That you have found us in the midst of our sin and offered forgiveness. That you have found us in the midst of our confusion or our difficult days. And you have given us a story to tell of your faithfulness. God, I pray that you open our eyes to see the stories all around us. And you give us the courage to tell them. It's in Jesus' name that I lift this prayer. Amen.